Okay, two books together tonight. We're going to be looking at Nahum and Habakkuk. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at um, we looked at two books together. We put together Obadiah, which is one chapter, and we put him together with uh, Haggai. So a little bit out of order on those, and these two are back to back. But next week, what we're going to do, Lord willing, is skip over Zephaniah, which is three chapters, and we'll go to um, Zechariah, those two Zs, you know, can get kind of mixed up. It's 14 chapters. It's longer, so we're going to go to that one, Lord willing, next week or next time we meet, hopefully next week, uh, at 14 chapters in Zechariah. Then we'll come back, Lord willing, the following time to Zephaniah, which is three chapters, and put it with Malachi, which is four chapters, and then we'll have the... Uh, the Old Testament finished up here in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, weather permitting and all those things. So um, hopefully that will that will work on our schedule and then we'll look forward to starting the New Testament in September. So with that in mind, um, if this laptop will work okay, I sure hope it will, we'll, um, we'll look at Nahum, which is three chapters, and Habakkuk, which is three. And uh, even though there are two books, we may May end a little early tonight, possibly. We'll see. So as we look tonight, we'll begin with Nahum. They are back-to-back uh, books, uh, and so they're right there uh, next to each other, and um, they're not spread out like the last ones we combined. So as we get here to, um, to, to Nahum, it's about doom. <laughs> and the thing about this book of Nahum is it's one of the few books that's not written to Israel or Judah so much. Is written to their neighbors, to their enemy country. This is written to Nineveh, uh, and it's about the destruction of Nineveh, and there are three chapters in the book of Nahum. Um, as we uh, begin this, I hope this is going to work for me. Is this going to work for me? Yeah, it's going to work for me. It's just slow. My newer laptop's in the shop, and Roseanne is actually in charge of getting that, bless her heart. Um, so it may be a couple of weeks before we get that back, unless Brad can get that. So the date on this is roughly um, roughly some of the same years as, uh, as Jonah, except for Jonah preaches to um, the Nineveh also, and that's the reason I included Jonah up there, is to remind you that he preached to Nineveh. And you remember the people of Nineveh got right with God. And Jonah ended up with a great revival, a great spiritual awakening. Now remember, Nineveh is, a, is an enemy in a, in, a, in a neighboring country. It's not part of Israel. So it's what is today modern Iraq area. Maybe partly Iraq, Iran, but modern Iraq area. So uh, that's what we talked about, why Jonah was reluctant to go. And uh, we looked at that a few weeks back. So if you didn't get a chance to, to be here, that's, that's on our um, uh, audio, audio recording, if you want to look into that. But I wanted you to see how Nahum, he actually, what he does is he preaches about the destruction, and it does come to pass later on. And so uh, even God used Jonah to spare Nineveh, and just put a pin in that because that's going to be part of what we talk about tonight, to spare Nineveh at that time, but now time's going to come ripe where they will actually end up uh, being, being uh, destroyed. So... Let's look at an outline here. 
of, uh, it's not a real pretty outline. It's not simple as some of them, but um, this one is basically talking about, again, the destruction of Nineveh. So we look at the source of the destruction, verse 1 to 8, and we'll read that in just a minute just to get some background of it. And of course, God is the one that's going to bring destruction upon them. Uh, why is he doing that? Verse 9 to 15 of chapter 1, because of their sin and wickedness. And then he, in chapters 2 and 3, it talks about the method by which they will be destroyed. God's people is not going to destroy Nineveh. It will be Babylon. And of course, as we know, Babylon is the, uh, the nation that came into the southern kingdom. Remember, they come in and they take them captive, which happens many years after this. But they come in and take them captive. And so um, the... Um, uh, Babylon actually takes Judah captive at some point, but Babylon is going to be used by God as the instrument to bring destruction upon Nineveh. So let's look a little bit about that. Start at chapter one, verse one, and we're going to come. We're going to look at a couple of passages. We're going to read the whole whole uh, whole book, the whole three chapters. Uh, but we're going to look at a few passages uh, here and there. So chapter one, let's read verse one to eight, and then we'll read actually a couple of verses after that. But right now, let's read verse one to eight. The burden of Nineveh. Uh, we'll come back to that word burden because we're going to see how that word can mean something different uh, in different places depending on the context. The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. Uh, God is jealous. The Lord God revengeth. The Lord revengeth. He comes straight out of the box right after that first verse introducing who he is and talks about God's uh, fury upon Nineveh. Um, Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and in great power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Actually sounds like something out of Psalms, and there's some Psalms that are similar to that. Verse 4, He rebuketh the sea, and maketh it dry, and drieth up all the rivers. And um, he... he um, he rebuked the sea, of course, is a reference back to the Red Sea. Uh, Drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth, and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. In other words, these cities in Israel, they're languishing. They're crying out, Lord, when are you going to bring vengeance on our enemies? All right? Verse 5, the mountains quake at him. The hills melt. The earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and, they, and all that dwell therein. Now, that happened somewhat figuratively in the sense that there was much destruction then, but this is one of those verses that has a double fulfillment, and it'll come to pass um, whenever Jesus comes back, the second coming, it will come back in its full, full meaning in verse 5. Anyway, pick up verse 6. Who can stand before his indignation? That is, his, his wrath, his anger. And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. We'll come back to that. That's a great, beautiful verse in the midst of all this announcement of destruction for Nineveh. Verse 8, but with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. So that tells, tells us who's going to do it. God's going to do it. He's going to bring the destruction. He's not going to use uh, Israel, but he will indeed use Babylon to come in and bring destruction. So let's look a little bit at, um, uh, let's finish out this chapter. It's not very long, verse 9 to 15. And just to look, a little, look at a little bit about um, the sin and wickedness of Nineveh. What do you imagine against the Lord? Verse 9, he will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. In other words, he's going to do it all in one time. He's going to allow Babylon to come in and just 
completely come in and destroy them, take them over. Verse 10, For while they be folding together as thorns, and while they be drunken as drunkards, they shall be devoured as stubble fully dry. There is one come out of thee that imagineth evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. We'll come back to that in a moment. Thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet, and likewise many, yet thus shall they be cut down when he shall pass through. Though I have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. For now I will break his yoke from off thee, and will burst thy bonds in sunder. And the Lord hath given a commandment concerning thee, that no more of thy name be sown. Out of the house of thy gods I will cut off the graven image and molten image. I will make thy grave, for thou art vile. Behold the mountains, uh, upon the mountains, the feet of him that bringeth good tidings and publisheth peace. O Judah, keep the solemn feasts, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. In other words, God says, Judah, you can, you know, come back to worship me as you had, had, had been doing or supposed to be doing, because now I'm going to remove these adversaries from you. So let's look a little bit about this, and then we'll, we'll look at... Uh, the method a little bit more, a little bit later on, um, how he's going to do that, how he's going to use Babylon. Um, but look at um, chapter 1, verse 1, we just read a while ago. You see that word burden. Um, the word burden, it depends on the context in which it's written. We think of a burden as being something, you know, a heavy load that someone care, uh, cares. Um, in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, it says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, uh, one of the Psalms 34, I think it's, it is, it says, cast your burden on the Lord, he'll sustain you. And so um, burden is used in more than one way in Scripture. Um, it's, now it's different from what we'll see in a little bit in Habakkuk. That word burden is different in Habakkuk. The word burden here is that um, uh, about Nineveh means that they have a burden on them, that God's judgment is coming to them. So it's a burden in that sense. Uh, that God's judgment's coming, and he's using Nahum to be the spokesman to, to warn them, let them know the judgment of God is coming upon you, um, Nineveh. So um, next thing we'll look at uh, and, and think about, we mentioned um, how Jonah preached to them, and they got right with God. Well, roughly about 100 years later, in the book of Nahum, Nahum prophesies about how this will come to take place. Uh, uh, you know, several years later. So we saw the date, um, the date on there that his time was roughly around the time of Jonah. And so after Jonah preached, um, he preached, uh, uh, Nahum preached to them that judgment was going to come even after they got right with God. So what happened was uh, a number of years later, roughly about 90 years or so later, God does bring his judgment on Nineveh, even though he, he, he didn't bring it uh, under Jonah, there was great revival, remember? And that's why Jonah was, was um, reluctant to preach to them. He knew that if he preached to them, they heard God's warning, they'd get right with God. And they did, right? Remember when we studied Jonah? And so that's why Jonah kind of pouted. He didn't like the Ninevites. He knew the things they had done were wicked and terrible to God's people, and yet God showed his mercy, and they got right with him. Well, generations go by... And so here's a very important spiritual truth. Nineveh left their spiritual awakening from Jonah many years earlier, decades earlier. No revival or spiritual awakening is permanent. So there are times in our life we may have a great revival in our own life and spiritual awakening, you know, uh, God does some great things. And then later on it seems like things kind of 
kind of uh, fizzle out a little bit, and that's when we need more. We need it again because, um, as you know, we need to to grow in grace and keep growing in grace. And there are times where we kind of get spiritually dull, and then times where the Lord will um, help energize us spiritually. And so, none of that's permanent. It's not saying that it's not important, but it's not permanent. In other words, as we go on in our life, there needs to be more. So, the lesson we learn is how many decades later the Ninevites, their descendants, they forgot all about that. Um, I don't know if it was passed along to them like it should, should have been, but they forgot all about the great things that happened to their ancestors, and they, they did not get right with God like their ancestors did. So we must constantly pursue and maintain our fellowship with the Lord. Fellowship, not relationship. There's a difference in those things. Um, we have a relationship through Jesus Christ. When we trust Him, our relationship with God is made to as father, is, 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 uh, as father to child, as father to son. He, he's, uh, he's now our Heavenly Father through faith in Christ. So that relationship with Him will never change, but fellowship can. And so we have to constantly pursue and maintain fellowship, and that's a lesson we learn from the Ninevites who had forgotten what God had once done for them. So with that in mind, um, let's see, we said already that. I don't know how I come back to that. Copy that, I guess, somehow. and Go to chapter 1, if you will, in verse number 15. Chapter 1, verse 15. We'll come back to another verse in a, in a little bit towards the end when we talk about um, our... Uh, Tune up, but look at one fifteen. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. I love that verse. It's a great verse. There's a, in fact, there's a um, song in our hymn book we do that a verse comes. Uh, one of the verses come from that, or actually from our of uh, one of our other references here, Isaiah. Go with me to Isaiah fifty two. Uh, the the chorus, the song, our God reigns. The that it starts out with that verse. Um, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him. But Isaiah 52, also Isaiah says uh, just about the same thing. Isaiah 52 and verse 7. How beautiful beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, and bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, uh, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. And the, the one that we uh, see in our hymn book actually comes from that one. But Nahum has part of that same verse that he gives to God's people. Look, God's going to bring judgment on Nineveh. And so because of that, uh, Israel, Judah, you can have great peace in knowing that he is going to take care of your foes, of your enemies. Uh, one more reference with that before we go back to Nahum is in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul quotes this over in Romans chapter 10. This is the passage where it says, How can they... Um, how shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Uh, Romans uh, 10, 14. Then in verse 15 of Romans, he quotes this from Isaiah, and it's partially seen in, Nehemiah, uh, or excuse me, in Nahum. And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So Paul quotes that uh, from either or both Nahum and Isaiah in uh, the book of Romans. So we see um, that verse there, the, um, even, even in the uh, judgment that's coming to Nineveh, God wants his people to know uh, peace because of that. So let's see, let's go to, um, well, let's see. Let's go to, uh, let's go over to chapter three for just a second. Then we'll back up and look at how the judgment will come. Chapter 3, whoops, I went too far, didn't I? I got this out of order, I think. <laughs> 3, verse 14, 
Now, how can you go from verse 14 to verse 10? You can't do that. That should be 14 to 19. 14 to 19, the end of the book. So this is the judgment that's going to come about 100 years after. Um, look at verse after um, Jonah had preached. Verse 14, draw thee waters for, thy, for the siege, fortify thy strongholds, go into clay and tread the mortar, make strong the brick kiln. So what happens is when they come into a, to the city, Babylon comes in, they take the city, they uh, stop up their water supply, then they use that water to basically flood the city. Um, Pick up, we read in chapter 1 about that flood, and that's what they do. They flood the city. Verse 15, there shall the fire devour thee, the sword shall cut thee off, it shall eat thee up like a canker worm, make, thy, uh, make thyself many as a canker worm, make thyself many as the locusts. Thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven, the canker worm spoileth and and. Uh, flyeth away. In other words, you made a lot of money, you had all this wealth and everything, but now Babylon's going to take it out quickly like a canker worm, like a, um, like a locust. Verse 17, uh, Thy crowned are as a locust, and thy captains as the great grasshoppers which camp in the hedges in the cold day. But when the sun ariseth, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Thy nobles shall dwell in the, in the dust. The people is scattered upon the mountains. No man gathereth them. There is no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brood of thee shall clap the hands over thee. For upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually. What a way to end the book, right? And so he's ending it with the judgment that would come later to them. Um, so if you're over in chapter, back up to chapter 2, this is what we skipped over a moment ago. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. Um, remember it talked about the, um, it talked about the uh, sieging, the, the strong, uh, making a siege there, the strongholds and of the, um, the clay and the gates and so forth. Look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He that dasheth in pieces has come up before thy face. Keep the munition, watch the way. In other words, have your, have your, have your weapons to go. Watch the way, ready to go. Watch the way, make thy loins strong, fortify thy power mightily. For the Lord hath turned away the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel. For he empt um, the emptiers have emptied them out and marred their vine branches. The shield of his mighty men is made red. The valiant men are scarlet and the chariots shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. And fir trees shall be terribly shaken or the fir trees. Verse 4, the chariots shall rage in the streets. They shall jostle one against another in the broad ways. They shall seem like torches. They shall run like the lightnings. Verse 5, he shall recount his worthies. They shall stumble in their walk. They shall make haste to the wall thereof, and the, de and the defense shall be prepared. In other words, uh, the, the men of uh, Babylon are going to come in. Their army is going to come in and just go in and, and tear down the walls. And Verse 6, the gates of the rivers shall be opened, and the palace shall be dissolved. It will be dissolved by a flood. So they were going to, you know, they would flood the city out. They'd hold back their, their drinking water, take all that, and have it ready just to flood the city out. They come in, and they just brutally uh, destroyed Babylon brutally destroyed uh, um, Nineveh. So let's look at a little tune-up about um, from from Nahum, chapter one, verse two says this: God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. Back up with me to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, and places uh, God reveals Himself with names. Of course, His name is the Lord. His name is God. 
Um, we see him revealed as Jehovah in Scripture. Uh, don't let the Jehovah's Witnesses fool you. That is one of the names of God. But um, the Jehovah, um, Jesus, Jesus in the New Testament is Jehovah. He's the second person of the Trinity. Uh, his name means Jehovah saves, God saves. God is salvation. Look at Exodus 34 and verse number 14. God reveals himself to his people this way. Thou shalt worship, verse 14, for thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. That's a capital J, Jealous. So that's a name, Jealous. So now even though in prayer we wouldn't, we wouldn't want to address God as Jealous, that is his name because what he's doing is you're relating to them I'm a jealous God. I don't want you worshiping other, other gods. And so part of the reason they got into trouble and Nineveh had, had uh, overtaken Judah and Israel is because of their idol worship. But now God says, that's enough. I'm going to use the Babylonians to destroy Nineveh. So um, God is a jealous God. He doesn't want anyone you know, taking his place. Uh, and and uh, he, is, he is number one and should be number one. He's creator. He's redeemer. And no one, you know, God uh, doesn't want anyone to take his place. He certainly deserves our very best always. And so uh, he says, he lets them know he is a jealous God. Chapter 1 of verse 3, look with me there. The Lord is slow to anger. Aren't you glad that he is? And there are times over and over with his Old Testament people, Israel, that um, he would have to hold back his anger when he could have very well shown it. Uh, and displayed it. Remember, there was a time where Moses um, uh, talked to God for Israel and told him, you know, hold back your anger. He said that he had repented that even called Israel, made Israel, designed Israel to be his people, and yet Moses interceded for, for uh, Israel. Look at, if you will, or if you just want to listen as I read, Psalm 103. It says there in the book of uh, Nahum, that he's slow to anger. Psalm 103, verse 1 and verse 2, and then skip down to verse 8. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We have a chorus we sing that starts that way. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all, all his benefits. And he lists several of them. And verse 8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. So um, the Lord is slow to anger, great power. So when Nahum says that, Early in that third chapter, verse 3, uh, he's let, he lets Nineveh know, look, God was, was uh, patient with you, and uh, he's slow to anger, but he is going to bring his wrath. So we see that um, as we study uh, Nahum, that stands out to us for, for uh, part of uh, uh, God's nature and, and his goodness and his mercy through being slow to anger. Then chapter 1, verse 7, this is our fuel up in Nahum. He is our stronghold. I love this verse. So if there's one beautiful verse to pull out of Nahum, it's this. Chapter 1, verse 7. I read it. I'll read it again. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. So a couple other references that are similar. The word stronghold uh, is used here, but usually you see strongholds when it's talking about battle. Um, very similar idea of God being a stronghold is over in Psalms. There's one, and then there's one in Proverbs. Psalm 18 and verse 2 is one of them. A stronghold is a place, uh, usually it's a tower, and it's connected to the wall of a city. It's where there would be a watchman that would look out over the um, outside territory, and if there was someone coming in, 
to bring destruction, someone coming in to attack the city, they would, um, they would see it and they would be able to, to sound the alarm, to let the people know, be at arms, be at you know, defense, because you're about to be attacked. Psalm 18, verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. And so a stronghold was usually a tower where they would, uh, they would have, they would kind of be fortified in where no one could get to them. It would take probably an arrow or something shot very directly to get to them, but they were up in a high place that was hard to get to, plus they were on lookout. And so the Lord is called our stronghold. Proverbs 18 and verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and are safe. So he is our strong tower. He's our stronghold. And we need that stronghold in battle because when our enemy, um, you know, battles against us or sends temptation or sends discouragement or whatever, we need him as our stronghold. So Jesus in the book of Nahum is, uh, is a stronghold for you and for me. So uh, let's go over to Habakkuk, the next book. And the book of Habakkuk, the, the one word to describe it would be simply the word why. Um, we see in the book of Habakkuk, uh, it's a little bit different because um, in, in the book of Habakkuk, it's back to talking about some of the um, chastisement that God brings upon his people. There are three chapters in Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, there's not as much known about him but he roughly wrote this probably about 626 B.C., which would have been much later than the date for Nahum and uh, the warning against, against Nineveh. This was probably written not long before um, Judah went into captivity to Babylon. Now remember, Babylon had become a power, and they were the ones that had destroyed Nineveh. And so they were, they were the world power at the time. So here's an outline of Habakkuk, a little 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 uh, more direct outline than the last one because it goes chapter by chapter. We see the prophet is troubled in chapter 1, and he's troubled, and he mentions the word burden. We'll get to that in just a moment in verse 1. And um, he's, he mentions the uh, how uh, he sees that in verse 6. We see how it says that God would raise up the Chaldeans, another, another group of people. They weren't a world power, but they were a neighbor, uh, neighboring uh, nation that he was going to bring through. Uh, and then, of course, as part of Babylon, Babylon would be the one that would bring them into uh, captivity. So he saw judgment coming, and so he was very troubled about that. But in chapter 2, we see how the prophet is taught. He sees in chapter 2 how God is indeed righteous and how the Lord will um, he, he will not... Um, not let anything go to waste. He, he uh, was going to allow the uh, enemy nations to come in and to bring judgment, uh, bring chastisement. And so he's kind of humbled before God and sees that God is righteous. In chapter 3, we see uh, uh, triumph in his life, how his faith had, uh, had grown. And we see him um, uh, write a little bit about uh, worship here towards God and um, we see how he has, um, how he's, he's kind of changed by the end of the book and how he sees things, uh, you know, that God did as being righteous. Plus, in the um, third chapter, we see a lot of uh, prophecy to come, things that will happen in the future. So let's look, 
dig a little bit of it into Habakkuk. Again, we said the word burden, it depends on the context in which it's written. And in Nahum, it's, it, the burden had to do with the destruction that was going to come upon Assyria. So that was a burden, even though, even though um, Nahum called it a burden, uh, it wasn't a burden for him, it was a burden for Assyria. because I mean, Nineveh, excuse me, because the judgment was going to come upon them. The burden uh, here is different because this is a burden of unanswered questions and unanswered prayer. Uh, look at verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Chapter 1. Even cry unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore, verse 4, the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. And so he's asking some why questions here. And he's wondering, how long, Lord, shall I cry? How long shall I cry out uh, and we be eased of our, um, of our enemies? Um, verse 5, behold ye among the heathen, regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. Verse 6, for, the, uh, for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, we shall march through the breadth of the land. So Chaldea is, is you know, the region where Babylon is, and that they would come in and uh, take them into captivity. And by the time we get to um, Malachi, they will have already gone into captivity. So this is a burden in chapter 1, verse 1, of unanswered questions and unanswered prayer. There are a couple of uh, prophecies, future prophecies. When I say future, not just prophecy about things that he's talking about at the time, but things that will happen in the uh, second coming. Um, verse 5, I will do a work in your days that which you will not believe that will be told you. And that, of course, will be, um, will be done in its fullness at the second advent when Jesus comes back. Uh, look at verse 11. Nope, that's not right. That is not right. I don't have verse 11. It doesn't have the wicked, does it? Nope. Where is that? I put the wrong reference on there. There's something about the wicked in there. And I put the wrong reference. Maybe it's in chapter 2. Oh, well, maybe we'll come over in just a minute. But definitely look at um, chapter 3 with me, if you will, verse 9 and verse 13. Look at that definitely. So um, in chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, The bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. Skip down to verse number 13. I'm still puzzled why I had that verse about, I had that mixed up with something else. I don't know what that was in verse 11. But anyway, let's drop that. Look at verse 13. Thou wentest forth for thy, the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou wouldest, um, woundest the head of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the next, Selah. Now, when we study the book of Psalms, you may or may not remember, we talked about that word Selah. The word Selah means arrest, basically. It's actually a musical term. Uh, over in Psalms, several times we saw the word Selah. Um, and usually, sometimes it's a couple of times in the same chapter. And it's, uh, it's usually at the end of a thought. Well, in their music, in their songs, when they sang the Psalms, a Salah would be a rest. We have um, 
we have rests in our in our uh, hymn book. If you know know music, you know where they'll there'll be a rest there, um, as a as a verse ends or something like that between notes. But this is a rest in in uh, more more along along the lines of like between verses as far as stopping and then going back maybe to a chorus or something. But anyway, uh, the word salah means a rest. However, there is a prophecy. Um, meaning to the word Salah. When we studied Psalms, we looked at several examples where the word Salah in the Psalms refers to something that's either, that either has to do with the Antichrist or the Tribulation or the Second Coming of Christ or the Millennium. And it's amazing how that works. It's either in the same verse or maybe the verse before or the verse after. Look at verse 9. The bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, thou that's cleaved the earth, with rivers, verse 10, the mountains saw thee and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by, the deep uttered his voice, lifted up his hands on high. Verse 11, the sun and moon stood still in their habitation. The light of thine airs went and the shining of thy glittering spear. These things happen, but also they will happen in the tribulation when the sun and the moon uh, stop their shining. And in fact, we talked about Sunday morning in our message, if you're in here, we talked about how the moon would turn to blood and the sun would turn to darkness before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. But the one uh, in verse 13, it says, um, wound is the head out of the house of the wicked. The wicked, many times in the book of uh, Psalms especially, is not just about wicked people, although it is, because when David writes, he'll write about the wicked that were chasing after him and you know, wanting to destroy him or kill him. But ultimately, as far as prophecy goes, the wicked is another uh, title for the Antichrist. If you were, uh, again, if you were in your Sunday morning, we talked, we talked about some of his titles. He's called that wicked one in the book of 2 Thessalonians. So the wicked, oftentimes in Psalms, is a reference to the Antichrist, and it is right here. And then there's that Salah telling us that it has something to do with prophecy. Such a beautiful way that God puts his word together. It's just an amazing thing, isn't it? That wicked counselor, I'm still kind of wondering what that came from. I think that actually was supposed to be part of verse 13. I think that's where that came from. Uh, unless it was from, might have been from Nahum, actually. I might have got those mixed up. Anyway, so you see the point. So uh, we'll move on into chapter 2, if this will go to chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. And this is uh, also some of our mileage and efficiency on our of our study, uh, kind of uh, stopping and looking a little bit. Uh, I preached from this uh, a few weeks ago in a vision message. I will stand, verse 1, chapter 2, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. There again, we talked about the stronghold, we talked about the tower. Well, Nehemiah, or excuse me, Habakkuk takes himself uh, to the high place. And after chapter 1, where he's asking, Lord, why, Lord? Why, um, you know, why this judgment? Why is this coming? And so now he's spent a little time alone with the Lord and he gets a little more uh, clarity because now he's spending time with the Lord. He's finding out about God's righteousness and he sees a little bit more God's plan from the tower. Verse 1, we'll watch to see what he, what the Lord will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. We'll come back to verse 4 here in just a moment. Uh, in fact, the very next thing we're going to look at. So, 
He spent some time alone in the tower and got a, got a fresher look at, at the Lord and who He is. And got a, as you read through the chapter, you'll see where he got a, a fresher look at God's righteousness. And so uh, where he's questioning, Lord, why in chapter 1, now he's spending a little more time with Him. And so uh, t- it's time to time. It's good to get perspective about our life, about our goals. And this is a good, good passage to use as a basis for that. Where just as Habakkuk went up into the tower... And uh, he looked and he wrote down the vision, wrote down what God had to tell him, and uh, uh, wrote it down, made it plain, made it clear. Uh, so sometimes it's very good to do that in our life. Then uh, chapter 2, verse 4. This verse is, uh, we just read it, but I'll go back over it. This verse is repeated three times in the New Testament, that very last line, where it says, but the just, and this, and in, in uh, Habakkuk says it this way, but the just shall live by his faith. But go with me, uh, go um, run these references. They're uh, in order here. Uh, Romans, then Galatians, then we'll look at Hebrews if you'd like to go with me. This verse is repeated three times. There, there are a few places in Scripture uh, where some of the Psalms are repeated, you know, several times the same Psalm. But for the book of Habakkuk to only be three chapters, it's quite unusual that one verse there is, is uh, repeated three times in the New Testament. So he says, The just shall live by his faith. In Romans 10, or excuse me, Romans 1, Paul puts it this way in verse number 17. And he says this, um, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The emphasis there is the word just, or short for the word justification. Because the book of Romans, one of the great themes of the book of Romans is the justification of the sinner before God. The believing sinner who places his faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we are justified. We are declared righteous by a holy God simply by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the emphasis in Romans 1 when he repeats that is the word just. Then over in the book of Galatians chapter 3 is is the second time that is quoted also by Paul. Galatians 3 and verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Faith is the emphasis here in Galatians 3. uh, Because he he tells them that the uh, law is not given to save us. It's given to show us that we need a Savior. That's actually in chapter 4. And so faith is the important word that's brought out when he quotes that verse here in uh, Galatians 3 verse 11. Then one last time it's quoted in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, and this time the emphasis is on the word live. Um, Just in Romans, faith in Galatians, Hebrews 10 verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So the context of of, uh, Hebrews 10 is, uh, you know, living our faith, living it out, and um, and, and, uh, acting on our faith, having a practical faith, an active faith, Uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's repeated three times in the New Testament. Chapter 2 also gives us a warning here. We didn't read this earlier in our our verses, but it talks about uh, drunkenness. Chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Woe to him that giveth his neighbor, I'm back in Habakkuk, woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth the bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. So 
verse 15 and 16, we see a warning about drunkenness. Drunkenness in the Bible is always wrong. And you see uh, several examples of it. Noah and Lot, uh, and there's several others in Scripture. And so in the book of Habakkuk, you see the warning there that's given about that. Um, I skipped something here. I'm not sure what I skipped. Uh, I was going to put something else here, I think, in tune-up. I think I know what it was, actually, and I just didn't write it down. I think it's going to be in chapter 2 also. Uh, 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 there's something here. How did I miss that? Hmm. Anyway, I know, I know the verses I was going to go to. I just didn't get them on the slide for some reason. Go back to chapter 2, verse 14. 214. So this would be um, this would be a verse also about prophecy. And then we'll look at the fuel up about the one where it would be um, uh, Jesus in Habakkuk in just a minute. But look at 214. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, of course, that won't happen until Jesus comes back to reign, and that's the millennium when he comes back to reign for a thousand years. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So um, that's, a, that's a reference to, uh, to the millennium. So um, in the midst of all his, um, uh, uh, these verses about judgment to come, uh, there is also reference about, um, about the millennial reign of Christ. So I didn't put it on there, but it should be on the um, fuel up um, about uh, Jesus in, in um, Habakkuk. There are two places. Look at, uh, we already saw chapter 1 in verse, um, uh, let's see, where's that about stronghold? I'm missing it now. Where's the Lord's our stronghold? Um, Where did we see that earlier? By his memory better than mine, which wouldn't be much. He's called a stronghold. How am I missing that? Anyway, go with me to uh, 3 and verse 18. So this is definitely Jesus in the book of Habakkuk. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He is the God of our salvation. And we can join. Oh, chapter 1, verse 10. Um, no, that's another verse about stronghold. Where's the verse? Where's that verse about stronghold? How did I lose that? I know why. That was in Nahum, Barry, not, not uh, Habakkuk. Anyway, the one, about, the one for Jesus in um, Habakkuk is 3.18. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He is our salvation. And, of course, um, verse 19, the Lord is my strength. He is our strength also. Uh, let's see. And then it ends out, verse 19, to the chief singer on my stringed instrument. So we said that that, you know, that third chapter we said was after he got... Um, that, um, uh, you know, so spend some time with the Lord in chapter 2. Chapter 3, he worships, and it closes in saying that this is to the, you know, to the chief um, singer and on string. And so chapter 3 apparently was written, at least part of it, was to be, you know, written as a song. Uh, and we saw those salahs in there. And um, it says there, Shiganoth in verse 3, that has to do with the music and musicians, one, one that would lead or, or uh, sing or lead. Uh, and worship basically is what that's a, a reference to. Verse that word shiganoth. That's a very rarely seen. I think it's only maybe one other time in scripture that's referred to. But anyway, um, so chapter three is basically 
sung. It's basically done in worship. So you see how he goes from asking why, unanswered questions, to spending time for the Lord to show him his righteousness. And then it ends with, you know, after the, after the sadness of, Lord, why are, you, why are you going to bring judgment to our people? Why are you going to allow the enemy to judge us? To chapter 2, learning more about God's righteousness. Chapter 3, he's worshiping because he can, uh, he can praise and thank the Lord for who he is. He's the God of his salvation. All right? Let's stop there a few minutes early. Any questions or anything, Donna? Yeah, I found that later. Yeah, that about stronghold. I don't know. I get. I got the two mixed up. I think in there on that. So I don't know why I missed these last. I thought I had them, and I thought I keep it on a jump drive. And it may be that I had it on the jump drive, and I didn't have it on here somehow. I don't know. But anyway, um, there were the home address on this. The home address for these probably for chat for Habakkuk. We had it for Nahum, and the one for um, Habakkuk would probably be that verse two four. Uh, the just shall live by his faith. That would probably be the one for home address there. So, yes, ma'am. Good things about Habakkuk. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Is it really? It is because um, I lived for several years in Florida. All old people. I mean, all old people. And they go, Oh no, what's happening in the world? Oh, isn't this horrible? Oh, isn't that horrible? Look at the sick calls. Look, you know, everything. <laughs> everything. And it's like, what's going to happen now? What will we do? And then I read Habakkuk because I was reading through the Bible and it says, I'm going to do something you never expected. Mm -hmm. You just wait. You're right. not going to believe it. Yeah. <laughs> and I just go, yep. yay! Yep, and yep. I read it to my grandmother and she's going, I, you know, I don't even know what you're talking about. So, you know, you have to have spiritual eyes. Right, right. Yeah, that's that verse 5 of chapter 1. He said, you won't believe it, but I told you. Yeah. They refresh my soul yeah. so much. And well, how about I that? an answer mm -hmm. for all those questions. Well, that's neat. That's yes. Good. And the other thing is that the just shall live by faith. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I learned that Martin Luther mm -hmm. read the Bible and saw something and read the Bible uh -huh. and saw something and read the Bible and saw something and right. learned something and taught us all right. yeah. what we were missing. Yep. You know, the whole world. Yep. So, yep. you know, that happens to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that verse revolutionized him, uh, did. Well, and us. It started the Reformation, yeah. All, you know, we'd still be Catholics doing this and that and the other thing without revelation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I, I love Habakkuk. Yep. I don't think I've ever met anybody that said that Habakkuk is their favorite book, Barbara, so I'll have to remember that. I'm going to have to write that down. Habakkuk is Barbara's favorite book. I'll have to remember that. Well, very good. Yeah, well, that's good because it took me forever to learn how to spell it. All right, so I put on that thing at Sid Zephaniah, but I put the wrong book. So it will be Zechariah, Lord willing, next time. And it's 14 chapters. It's longer. And there's a lot of prophecy in there of things to come, too. So um, uh, longer book. And we'll have it by itself. But then, like I say, after that, Lord willing, we'll go back up to Zephaniah, the three-chapter book, and put it with Malachi. So, all right, anything else we'll close? All right, well, let's close in prayer and dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for the day you've given us, and we thank you for your mercies and goodness. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your answers as um, Habakkuk 
rejoiced in that by the end of his little three-chapter book. And we thank you for the things that you showed him. And Lord, we thank you for the things you show us in your word and um, how we uh, get your answers and how we draw closer to you through it. We're grateful for that. We continue to pray for Roseanne. We lift her up to you. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help her, Lord, to, get, uh, to heal and be strengthened uh, as the days go by. I pray that you'll keep us safe as you leave me here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.